0: Well, good afternoon and good evening and good morning, wherever you may be in the world. I just want to do a little disclaimer and then I will read The incredible bio of Dr. Jim Curtis and then get into a deep deep conversation for the importance of foreign language today. Please leave your comments in and please do authenticize yourself so I can put you into the comments. Uh StreamYard does need that authenticity that you are a legit person and not a bot. So, further ado, my disclaimer for Miss Liz Tea Times. Miss Liz is going live stream using Using StreamYard, leaving a comment, please grant StreamYard permission to see your name at StreamYard.com. Please be advised that content brought forward for any tea time hosted by Miss Liz myself is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forward dialogue and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the given time of airing. All tea time guests and audience participation are responsible for their for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions of somewhere that may be emotional at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in a discussion form only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not provided therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, or the panelist discussion you may freely contact Miss Liz myself through my email at bookingmissliz@gmail.com at moving forward should you choose to voluntarily participate in this show in any aspect i myself miss liz welcome you should you decide that the show is not for you at this time i respect that choice and we'll see you in the future at a later show so now i want to introduce the incredible Jim, Dr. Jim Curtis. I will bring him into the studio and I will read a little bit on his bio and then we'll have a deep conversation on the importance of foreign language. Welcome, Dr.
1: Jim. Thank you, Ms. Liz, nice to be here.
0: I'm just gonna read a little on your bio and then we're gonna get into this deep conversation because education is truly important to Ms. Liz, if anyone knows who Ms. Liz is. Jim Curt and Dr. Jim Curtis received his BA in Germ- in German from Rondebrit University and his PhD in Russian from Columbia University. He taught Russian at the University of Missouri, Columbia for 31 years and is now a professor at Emma- Emeritus from that institution. Dr. Curtis is an author of numerous books and articles. His most recent book is Stalin Soviet Ma- Monastery, a new interim interpretation of Russian politics. His book, The Coherence of the Russian Classic Essay on the Dramatic of Creativity, will come out in the spring of 2022. While Dr. Curtis was at the University of Missouri, he won numerous teaching awards. His first teaching award came for his outstanding teaching in Russian, in which was one of his favorite courses. Perhaps because he grew up in a working class family and was the first person in his family to attend college. He felt a kingship with his students, who often came from small towns in Missouri. This sense of kingship manifested itself in a dissatisfaction with the ways foreign languages are taught in America. As a result, he developed some radical ideals for Russian, ideals that are applicable, excuse me, applicable to other languages as well. When people, especially native, native speakers, teach foreign languages, they basic, the, their basic attitude is, here it is, learn it, I can speak it. Why can't you? It's no wonder that American students dislike taking foreign languages and rapidly forget that they, what they've learned. So Dr. Jim Curtis, I'm going to give the floor to you now, and I'm just going to grab a cup of tea here and, let's get into a deep discussion on the importance of the foreign language.
1: Thank you, Mrs. Let me say again, what a pleasure it is to be here. what we begin with is this, the obvious thing that everybody agrees on now, I think, which is that we live in a global economy. International trade, international understanding, these are really important and they're gonna become more so, not less so, in the future. So that means, in fact, that understanding foreign languages and what's beyond foreign languages, understanding foreign cultures is not only a good thing, and not only desirable to make you a more complete human being, it is going to be essential for politics, for business, for numerous applications. And that brings me to something I feel very strongly about, namely how foreign languages are taught. There is something, and I'm going to call it a dogma, because that's pretty much what it is, that prevails in this country. And we're talking about the way foreign languages are taught from middle school to high school and certainly in colleges and universities. When people talk about foreign languages, like, for example, when teachers are talking to parents, what they say is, oh, we speak Spanish or French or whatever it is from the first day. And what we want to have, not always, but if we can afford it and can find them, what we want is to have native speakers speak the language. That seems so obviously a good thing that hardly anybody ever talks about it. Nobody ever asks, is this a really good way to teach foreign languages? And here's why people think that. this. People think that because what they are understanding what's in their minds is what do the teachers do what the teachers do is speak the foreign language the target language. my question is may have to do with my working class background is this what about the students suppose we have a native speaker of french or german or spanish or whatever it is standing in the front of the room speaking german speaking Spanish from day one, what's happening with the students? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Well, let's pause for a minute and ask ourselves, when the students come into that classroom, what have they been doing? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? This generation of students, we're talking about primarily college students, just for the sake of this conversation, is the most connected generation in the history of the world it is a given with these students that they have computers that they're computer savvy most of them are tech savvy a lot of them started using computers in middle school if not before that has been greatly increased during the difficulties caused by the COVID and pandemic And it's the given, isn't it, that these students have cell phones. Kids go around with their cell phones all the time. They're on TikTok, they're on Instagram. Once again, let me emphasize the historical situation, the historical uniqueness of these students. Never before in the history of the world have students ever had as many possibilities for communicating with as many people. This is the world that they live in. This is what they assume is the way of the world. And what happens to these students when they come into the foreign language classroom? The foreign language classroom takes all of that away from them. Everything that they're accustomed to is taken from them. They can't speak English. They can't talk on their cell phones. They can't use computers. And here's the question. How do you think it makes the students feel? Since the prevailing dogma about teaching foreign languages is it all has to do with the teachers and only the teachers, what does the teacher do? That's the question. What I ask is, what about the students? What do they feel when they come from their media saturated environment? in which people commun- everybody communicates with everybody 24 seven, what do they feel when they come into a foreign language classroom and they have no idea what's being said? They have no textbooks in front of them to explain this. How do they feel? My answer is, it's pretty obvious how they feel. They feel confused, they feel put down, they feel left out. And let's take that one step further. If we agree that they're the most media-savvy generation in the history of the world, nothing like this has ever happened before, and they come into a classroom and you take all that away from them and they feel confused and alienated, does that put them in a good frame of mind to learn anything? No. No, my answer is no, obviously not. How can you possibly expect students to be in a good frame of mind have a positive enthusiastic attitude when they feel alienated and left out that's the question that is as it were forbidden that's the question that nobody so far as i can tell ask about foreign language teaching how do the students feel my answer is the students feel terrible so Why do we do it? And the answer is, as I said, because, exactly because people don't ask the question, how do the students feel? This is, I've mentioned this to Ms. Liz before, I'm not particularly interested myself in educational theory, but there is a term called constructivism that's widely used in educational circles and it has to do with the way students construct meaning in the classroom. And I really appreciate that because it takes into consideration what the students think and want and feel. Now, that's not to say that the students' opinions about, let us say, French verbs matter a great deal because they don't. French verbs are what they are. But what you begin with is the premise that what the students think and want and care about really matters. So then what do you do? What is your answer? And I am not someone who simply says things are terrible. I have a series of ideas about how what we can use to make the students feel better, to put the students in a positive frame of mind. Because so far as I can tell, after 31 years in the classroom, students who feel good about themselves, who are enthusiastic about what they're doing, learn better. It seems hard for me between, to me to anybody that would anybody would dispute that, that having students feeling alienated and upset and left out is a good frame of mind for learning. Hard to me to believe. Anybody believes that, but the idea that you can ask that is not something people do. So let me tell you a little bit about my beloved Russian one course. I may be the only Russian professor in the world who loves teaching Russian one. One of my very favorite courses, I thought long and hard about how to do it. What I wanted to do in the Russian one classroom, these are monolingual students who've never taken Russian before, right? What I wanted to do was to put them at ease, to make them feel that I have a connection with the student, the students have a connection with me, and together we're doing something interesting. So when I walked in to the Russian one classroom, I'd never seen the students before. They had never seen me before. The first thing I said was not, hello, are you this Russian? The very first thing I said was, nobody is gonna say anything in Russian today. So what do you think, how do you think they reacted? Everybody "Ah," heaved a sigh of relief, right? Because these kids had probably taken like Spanish in high school, yes. where the idea was, it's, the teacher comes in and says "Buenos dias" and blah 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 blah, and all that in Spanish, and the kids are bored and look out the window because they don't know what's going on. What I did was to say, nobody's going to say anything in Russian today, and that immediately relaxed them. It put them in a better frame of mind. The next thing I did was to go through the role and ask each student on my role, I would usually, at Missouri, I guess in most places, before your first day, you get a role with your students. Let's say I had 20 students in the one class. And the first thing I did was to go through the role and ask them two questions. First, what do you go by? If your name is James, you go by Jim. If your name is Elizabeth, you go by Beth or Liz or whatever. Then the second question I ask is: ask them is, What do you remember about high school? Oh. High school is pretty much a universal experience, right? Exactly. And our goal, our goal for positive learning outcomes is to give people a sense of connection. And I put it to you, what gives people more of a sense of connection than talking about high school? So that was the first class. Sometimes I would get through everybody, mostly I would, but sometimes I didn't. But by and large, I would go through the rules, say, what name do you go by and what do you remember about high school? Well, you're actually acknowledging the student, Jim, by doing that. You're kidding. Yes, I am. Because it is my deeply held belief that when students are acknowledged as human beings, who have done something before they walked into my classroom, something that's important and relevant to their lives, they will learn better. They will learn better.
0: I I, I agree with that because if you get acknowledged, the teacher shows that they
1: care, right? Right. That I'm a human being, you're a human being, We have all had experiences before we walked into this room. Those experiences are important to us. Let's acknowledge those experiences, okay? Then, here's the next stage. The next stage is to deal with what they've heard about Russian. Remember, I'm in Russian one. These students have never had Russian before. And what everybody says about Russian is, and you know this as well as I do, Russian is hard. Why is Russian hard? Cuz it uses a different alphabet. Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah. The Russian language is the uses what's called a Cyrillic alphabet, which is derived from the Greek alphabet. It uses most of the letters of the Greek alphabet. It's not a big deal to learn. You can learn it in an hour or so, but it is different. And that's what students say to each other. Russian is hard because it uses a different alphabet. So, my goal as a teacher is to address what they've done before they came into my classroom. The first thing I do is say, What do you remember about high school? The second thing I say is, Have you heard anybody say that Russian is hard? So then I say, I tell you what, I'll give you a choice. You can do something that will make Russian harder. Or you can do something that will make Russian easier. Which do you prefer? Which would you rather do? Would you rather do something that makes Russian easier or make it harder? Well, you know what they're going to say to that, right? <laughs> they want easy. <laughs> you want easy. Of course you do. So what I begin with, what I begin with then is let me tell you about the other choice. If you say, or if you let people tell you Russia is hard, I guarantee you Russian will be hard. It is the classic self-fulfilling prophecy. If you sit in front of a textbook and you say, Russia's hard, is hard, Russia's hard, hard, I guarantee you it'll be hard. Yeah. Right? So you acknowledge, I've never heard in my life of a Russian teacher or a German teacher, or any kind of teacher who ever acknowledged what it is that students say to each other. What students say to each other really matters. We all know about peer pressure. We all know that college is a time when people sort themselves out. They figure out who they are, who they relate, how they relate to people, and so forth. What other students say really matters. So I say to them, if you tell yourself rush is hard, it will be hard. And if you let other people tell you that rush is hard, because the standard conversation is the first week of class, People are meeting people and say, what are you taking? What are you doing? What is the professor? And so forth. And when students say, I'm teaching Russian, the standard answer that they get from their peers, like in the dining room or in the dorm, is Russian is hard. So I said, don't let people tell you that Russian is hard. But I do have an adjective that you can use about Russian. As a matter of fact, I want this to be a dialogue that we'll have. If you ever come to see me in my classroom in my office, or if you ever see you in the hall, I'm gonna ask you what kind of language is Russian. And I want you to say, there's this is one word that's really, really important about Russian. Russian is a logical language. I'm not saying Russian is simple. What I am saying is that Russian is logical. There are rules, if you wanna say anything, like how old am I? are you when's your birthday, any of that, there's a rule for saying it. I will give you the rule and if you will learn the rule, I promise you, you will be able to say it correctly.
0: So what do you, Jim, what do you feel is important about learning the foreign
1: language? What I feel is important about learning foreign language is, start, is to start with the student's attitude create environment however you want to do that and i have some ideas about how we do that in a minute but however you want to do it depending on the background and personality the teacher to create a positive learning environment in which students can say to themselves i'm okay i can bring my intelligence to bear the intelligence that i've acquired through probably unpleasant hours in the classroom in high school whatever I can bring what I am to bear on this and I can make sense of it. Because you remember when you were 20 years old, the world was confusing and difficult and problematic, right? So anything that the teacher can do to help students make sense of what they're doing is a positive step. And that's why I say over and over again, Russian is a logical language. So let me give you a practical classroom example of how I would do that. I would say, and this is this is the contrarian in me, the person who, whose parents never went to, high, to college and who understands that maybe not all of them did and that maybe being an intellectual isn't the only thing in the world. So I say, because I like to say things that upset people's caricatures of teachers, the first thing I say goes like this. All right, you want to learn Russian, right? Well, in order to learn Russian, we've got to first talk about football. So I asked one of the guys who looked like, preferably a bigger guy who likes looks like he might have played football at one time or another. Do you understand enough about football to follow the action when you watch a football game on TV? Everybody's going to say yes to that. because this is a salesman's rule. One of the basic rules that you learn in sales is that what you want to do is always ask questions which people will say yes. You want to people to say yes, yes, yes to all of your questions. Right?
0: Well, First I don't question. know about that. Not me. <laughs> I but, like getting those.
1: <laughs> well, as in, if you're a salesman, you want what you want to lead up to. Yes. Is, if you're a salesman, yes, you want to, yes. Is, yes. Do you want to buy this product? Yes. And you want your client always to say yes. So what you want to do then is to ask students questions that they can understand, that make sense of them in terms of their life outside classroom. And what better example of it than football. So here's the sequence of questions. Do you understand enough about football to follow the action when you watch a football game on TV? Okay. If the answer to that is yes, then I say, tell me this. Does this tight end play on offense or defense? The answer obviously is offense. Does the linebacker play on offense or defense? Obviously, a linebacker plays on defense. Is that always the case? I ask, and the answer is yes, that is always the case. And you know that because you understand the rules of football, right? Now, did you always understand the rules of football? Like when you were say two years old, did you understand the rules of football? Obviously not. So at some time between now and when you were two years old, you learned the rules of football. And that's why you can follow the action when you watch a football game on TV. So far so good. I gotcha. Well, and this is the payoff. Well, then, that's what you're going to do in learning Russian. Since Russian is a logical language, since Russian, unlike English, has rules for everything that you want to say, what you're going to do is to learn the rules of Russian because they will work. There's a phrase I have. There are some things in Russian that are what I call eternally true rules. As long as you have breath in your body, these rules will work. And what you do is you do, basically you do two things in learning Russian. You learn how the rules work, and you learn vocabulary, and you may bring the vocabulary together, and you match it, and you apply the rules you know to the vocabulary, and bang, you're speaking Russian. So what do you think of that? How long has it been since somebody said the best way to learn Russian was to talk about football. Well, that's the first for me. That's the first for you? I think it will be the first for most you. And what do you think? Imagine I have a classroom of 18-year-old kids. Do you think that's going to get their attention? Oh, God, yeah. Football will. I think it, yeah, I think it will, too. Moreover, it will get their attention in a way that will be unique to them because they assume from their previous experience in high school, that if you walk into the classroom and it's a Russian classroom, you will speak Russian, you will only talk about Russian as though there were nothing else besides Russian in the world. But what I say is, let's take your prior experience acquiring rules, because that I swear to you, I'm not making this up, that's what Russian is. It's this process of acquiring rules. And when you do that, what you're doing is something like what you've already done. You've already learned the rules of football. You know how to apply them. They make sense to you. If you learn the rules of Russian in that way, you'll get it in Russian. But you can't do it if you let people tell you Russian is hard and it's confusing. Okay, that's one part of what I do. There's another part, Now I would not use this term in the classroom, this is, but I'm going to use it with you. <clears throat> the term is alienation from English. One response to the statement rushes hard, Russians hard, Russians hard is English must be easy because I can speak it. Spanish is easy because I learned it in high school. To which I say, you say English is easy. Let's talk about English. How many forms of the future tense are there in English? Wow. Well, let's consider it. Let me give you a sentence in the future tense. I will sit. Tell me if any of these are incorrect English, right? I will sit. I will be sitting. I'll be sitting. I'll be sitting. I am going to sit. I am going to be sitting. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna be sitting. How many is that? That's Eight ten. That's 10. And that's not all. There are, there are a number of variations that you can ring on that even. So you tell me, is English simple? No. There are no rules for forming these tenses, these future tenses. And guess what? There are no guides that you can consult if, let's say you're a native speaker of Chinese and you want to become fluent in English and you're confronted with all these future tenses in English. How are you going to decide which future tense to use? As far as I know, there are no guides on that. Right? Yeah. Okay. So then, we have at least 10, maybe more, future tenses in English. What about Russian? How many tenses are there in Russian? There are three, past, present, future.
0: Oh, and this is where I like
1: it. <laughs> and what about the subjunctive? How many subjunctives are there in, for example, in French, in Spanish? There are multiple subjunctives. There are multiple tenses. There's one and only one form of the subjunctive in Russian and it has no tense. That's it. So tell me Russian is hard. It's not hard. Russian is, I'm not, once again, let me emphasize, I'm not saying Russian is simple. Russian is not simple. What it is, is logical. What it is, is learnable. It is much more learnable than English is. But you can make that case. You can teach in that way. Only if you assume that what the students have experienced before they walk into your classroom matters. You assume that that matters and you're going to incorporate because it's what you can use to create a positive frame of mind for learning. Isn't that what we want? Positive frame of mind for learning? Surely even the people who think you ought to speak Spanish from the get-go in a Spanish class, surely even people like that wouldn't deny that having students in a positive frame of mind promotes learning. That seems so fundamental about human psychology, it's hard for me to imagine anybody can dispute it. But in fact, people do. Moreover, speaking of disputing things, let me tell you what I dispute and what neuroscience disputes. Notice what the premise is. If people say, oh, we have native speakers, and they take, take, speak the target language from the very beginning, they never speak English, particularly in French, people take problems and say, oh, we never speak English in the classroom. No, 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 no. Always speak French. Okay. All right. What does that assume? What it assumes is that it's a mathematical model when you think about it. The more people hear French, the more rapidly they will learn it. Isn't that the premise? What's well, the repetition, right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what the problem with that is? It neglects the development of the human mind. Neuroscience is one of the most fascinating and exciting fields in science today. We're learning a tremendous amount about the way the human mind works and what we, one of the things we know with relative confidence is that the human mind is constructed in the following way. When normal babies are born, not learning and normal babies are born, what happens in their minds is the synapses start firing and they start to say mommy and daddy and so forth, right? And what happens as the kids progress from being one to two to three to four and so forth, is that they take in language because their brains are capable. The evolution has prepared the human mind so that babies can internalize language. That's how people become native speakers of their language. That's how it works. We have empirical verification of this. You know what we also have empirical verification of? We have empirical verification that about the age of 12, these language finances stop firing. At the age of 12? Roughly, 12 to 14, somewhere in there, early adolescence. Wow. And so what does that mean? That means that the the language ability that the mind had for little kids to take in the language, to become native speakers of a language with ease and confidence, no longer works. So what people are doing when they insist on teaching the target language, classes in the target language and nothing but, is applying to 18-year-olds a science model that simply does not work. It won't work. Nobody can make it work. And this is, this is one of the unspoken assumptions that people have that simply will not stand up scientific analysis it just won't So I say they,
0: so Jim why aren't they not teaching at a younger age if it stops at the age of 12 to 14. well
1: some of them do some okay. of them do there are there are bilingual daycare centers for example in urban parts of the country okay But remember what do we know about America especially middle class America? This is a mobile society. People move around a lot. Mm -hmm. So let's suppose you're a conscientious parent and you take your child, your young child, your four year old, let's say, to a bilingual daycare. One day they do Spanish, the next day they do English. Okay, this is a good situation for learning a foreign language, right? Okay, let's suppose Kid goes there for a couple of years. Is starting to do some things in Spanish. But then, the parents get a promotion. The father gets a promotion. The mother gets a promotion. Something happens. They move. In their new community, there's no bilingual daycare. Or if there is a bilingual daycare, they teach, let us say, English and French, not English and Spanish. So then what's the kid going to do? Start over, right? Because... Whatever it is the kids have learned in Spanish isn't going to help a whole lot in French at the age of, say, seven. So yes, if you have a stable situation in which you have two things. First of all, you have bilingual daycares and bilingual schools and the parents never move. So the kids go from K through 12 in the same school system that's set up like that. It's terrific. But look folks, this is a real world. In real world, middle-class America, that doesn't happen as often as you would like for it to happen. It certainly doesn't happen often enough to provide a role model for large numbers of students. So what I say is, let's forget about teaching the foreign guys. If you're up to me, where my fantasy is, is to be able to direct a program in this way. If it were up to me and I were organizing a foreign language program, it doesn't matter what the language is, French, Spanish, German, Russian, whatever. If it were up to me, I wouldn't use the target language for the first week, all in English, everything in English. Well, you want to break, the, break it in. You want, I want to break it, in. break it in. And you know what I also want to do? I want to create a situation in which the students understand the language. There's a great deal about language learning that students can benefit from if presented in English. For example, one of the fundamental facts about language learning is that language is arbitrary. There's no particular reason why the word C-A-T is pronounced cat, or it means this funny little small furry animal, right? It's sha in French, It's Katze in German and so forth. And you can go through that with with nouns and verbs and all kinds of vocabulary items and it's with the way the language is organized and so forth. So first thing you need to know is that just because it's one way in English doesn't mean it's the same way in other languages because it probably isn't. That's the fundamental thing that it really helps because students will therefore not expect Spanish to be like English or French to be like English because languages are different. Why are they different? Because they're arbitrary. It's just a matter of arbitrary. There's no rhyme or reason. It's no good to sit around saying, why is it different? It just is. And once students really get that, it helps a lot because they don't waste time and mental energy, wondering about why French is different from Spanish. Why Spanish, for example, uh, in Spanish, the adjective comes after the noun. If you don't do that, if you don't make that explanation in English so that they understand and have a chance to talk about it and take it in, students will sit in front of their Spanish textbooks and say, I've heard people say their students do this, this is stupid, this is stupid, this is stupid. Why do they think it's stupid? Because it's not like English. So you know that's going to happen. It's a natural, perfectly predictable response to learning a foreign language if you haven't learned one before and you head that off at the pass as it were you anticipate problems and you say this is how languages work all languages are like this english is just as arbitrary as other languages the reason english doesn't seem arbitrary to you is because you're a native speaker reading. that's it It's the only reason then once we have that we can then start talking about the specific features of the target language in English. Just what I said to you, for example, there. how many teachers are there in Russian? Three. Three. And I, I like it
0: because it's the past, the present, and the future, and that's exactly what I teach with the T, is that we need mm-hmm. the past, the present, and the future in order to understand.
1: Yes, we do. We can also talk about a lot of the specific features of, foreign, of the target language, once again, in English. For example, German and Russian have these two features in common. The verb of (coughs) motion, for example, is divided in German and Russian between motion by vehicle and motion on foot. That's a distinction that's not present in English, but you can talk about it in English. You can prepare the students to learn this difference in English. Okay, how are we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good, Okay. Is there any? Do you have any questions or comments so far? I do have a question for
0: you. I, I, I was given this uh, um, a bunch of links yesterday to look up, and uh, one of my past tea time guests had asked me if you know about the translinguaging. Now, does that have to do with learning the? Imp- what we're learning here today, or is that a different topic altogether? That's a different
1: topic, yeah. Okay. That's not what we're doing. Yeah.
0: Okay. I just wanted to make sure that it was not the same.
1: Right. So here's the situation. What you want to do above all is to take as much of the foreignness out of learning foreign languages as possible. Okay. That's that's the major reason why I began with football. Football is pretty much universal in American middle-class culture. It's something people understand. It's people things that people talk about in bars, over the breakfast table, and so forth. So if you can make the case and give students to understand that you learn the rules of football, and in the same way, You can apply that same intelligence to learn the rules of Russian, which are, in fact, somewhat similar to football, you're way ahead of the game. I mentioned, for example, that language is arbitrary. It's really important for students to understand that. Well, guess what? So is football. For example, you could ask the students, this is the kind of question I like to ask students to make them stop for a moment. How many players are on the football team? 11, right? Why is it 11? Why isn't it 10? Why is it 12? You know what the answer is, right? It's arbitrary. I never knew that there was
0: 11 people on the team. I'm learning so much about football right now. (laughs) Take my word for it, Liz.
1: (laughs) There are 11 players on the team. One of the basic rules of football is that you get the ball and you have three tries or downs, as they're called, to go 10 yards. Why do you get four? Why is it three? Why is not five? Guess what? It's arbitrary. So if this thing <clears throat> that you know about, that your friends and neighbors know about, that you talk about with your family over the breakfast table, that people talk about in bars, if that thing, that experience, is something that's very much like the language that you want to learn then that language has some of the foreignness taken out of it. A great deal of the difficulty in learning foreign languages is just the sense that it's foreign, it's strange, it's unusual. It doesn't make sense to you in terms of your lived experience. And anything that foreign language teachers can do to minimize that, to minimize the foreignness of the target language is something that will result in better learning outcomes. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So how are we doing? Any more We're questions? Doing good. Or We're doing objections? Good. Hmm.
0: We're doing good. You're making me understand a little bit more about football and that and well, that's, that's of- a good
1: thing overall. <laughs> and language learning as well. Like I say, marketing is really important in America. Right? we see advertising all the day that's created by very smart marketing people. So what I wanted to say, as a way of bringing this together, is that when people talk about language teaching, and parents, especially parents, tell teachers tell the parents or students, oh, we have native speakers, we teach speak the native language all the time in the classroom. Guess what that is? That's, That's marketing. That sounds impressive, because it stands to reason, most middle-class people would say. It stands to reason that the more the students hear the language, the better they'll learn, right? Unfortunately, what stands to reason isn't always the case. Exactly. It just doesn't work like that. And like I want to say again, there is massive empirical evidence that the human mind is not constructed like that. It just isn't. So what I want to do is to take advantage of our understanding of neuroscience. Not that we're going to talk about neuroscience, but we're going to teach in such a way that's consistent with what neuroscience tells us and what I propose does just that. We can go into further detail as we go along in Russian. Eventually in God's good time, of course, we're gonna start speaking Russian. But when we do that, the students are gonna be prepared for it. They're gonna be understanding what they're doing and why they're doing it. I cannot overemphasize that. It is so important to put the students in a positive frame of mind and the way foreign languages are taught doesn't usually do that. Now, I wonder if we we have any comments or questions, anybody? Uh,
0: I'm putting them up as they're coming in, but we're streaming to multiple locations. So there are different comments coming in in all different sections.
1: Okay, Uh, I'd be happy to respond to anything anybody has to say.
0: Well, uh, we had one comment uh, from Cynthia from the United States who says that she loves your saying And and she said, this is so true. We all can relate to the high school.
1: Um, Sure, because high school is like football. High school football is close to the universal experiences we have in America today. So you want to bring that in. You want to acknowledge that. People like to be acknowledged as part of human nature. So I say, why not teach in a way that's consistent with that?
0: So we do have a question here. Why is foreign language not taught in the elementary systems?
1: Well, it it often is. It often is. There are reasons why it isn't. One of them is simply money. You may have heard that educational systems are underfunded in America today, right? And there's the fact that I alluded to earlier when I was talking about bilingual day schools, daycare centers. Language learning must take place over time. That's the only way it can work. If you would like, for example, your child to grow up as a bilingual speaker of, say, English and Ch- in Chinese, or English and Spanish, or whatever, the only even for brilliant students that takes a while. It takes time, and time requires continuity in, this, in place. Parents move. Teachers move, school budgets are cut, all kinds of things happen that undercut the n- necessary continuity for language learning. And that's just the reality of life in America. And I say, I, you know, I regret that, but I'm sorry. I, ha- I have a question here. What's the youngest age that you, you believe one can learn Russian? Well, think about Russian babies. There are babies being born in Moscow right now, and they will be surrounded by L- Russian from day one of their lives as a formal matter, formal way of teaching it. I would probably four, my guess is four. I'm really not an expert in, in early childhood learning in such detail, but I would say, if you put a young child at the age of four in a bilingual daycare school starting the age of four, that would be, and leave the child there in the same school system, taught in the same way, I think that would be pretty close to the ideal situation. Um, As it happens, I have, sort of, as a result of a fluke, I have in my family some student in California. Their father is American. Their mother is Singaporean. She's a native speaker of Chinese. They grew up bilingual in exactly this bilingual situation. Then they started going to a bilingual daycare system in which English and Spanish were the two languages. So the oldest of these kids is in high school and he's now basically trilingual. He can speak English, Chinese, and Spanish. What that means, just think about that. What that means is this young man can communicate with something like two thirds of the people on the face of the earth. Wow. That is just an amazing thing that can happen. And as a result, there's all kinds of educational and business opportunities that will be available to him just because of this language situation in which he grew up.
0: So we do have another question here, Jim, for sure. you. How, mm-hmm. how do we bring forth the Russian language into the school systems that don't have it yet?
1: Well, I'm. I'm. That gets into. That has to do with school administrations. Okay. It has to do with school budgets. I really can't address that. It also has to do with simple availability of, of Russian language teachers. Obviously, there are more people in this country who speak Spanish, who speak Russian. More people in this country who speak German than speak Russian. So part of it is simply supply and demand, okay. availability. But there now as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union, vast immigration, there are many more Russian speakers in this country than there were, primarily in the big cities. I think, I feel pretty confident that if the school system had the budget and had a slot for Russian teacher and advertised for Russian teachers, they could find them. Maybe not in, you know, like Wyoming, but certainly in the more populated areas in the areas around the big cities, for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: So, how many russian teachers are
1: out there i don't know i i don't uh-huh. have have the the figures on on such things obviously i if you, you're going to ask me i would my my simple answer is not enough because i think russian is a wonderful language i think russian is a wonderful culture and i want to see it promoted and taught as much as possible but i don't have the the, the figures either for the budgets or the number of students or teachers that are available
0: so you feel that there's more awareness that needs to be needed on, on the Russian languages?
1: I would think so. I would think so. And by the way, let me also say, <clears throat> one of the reasons I so much wanted to come on Tea Time with this is exactly the word A, the awareness. To me, that is that is just essential in language learning. And what I've been talking about for this whole hour is exactly awareness. Yep. We want teachers who are aware of what students bring into the classroom and who are aware of how they can use what students bring into the classroom to promote learning.
0: And this and is what this class. So is I'm so glad for. you
1: have that word in your title.
0: And this is what it is, right? It is the awareness. But it also, I feel that we were connected for a reason, Jim, because you said there's three there's three parts of the Russian language, right? Well, so there's, there's, the three, past.
1: there's three verb tenses, yeah. yeah.
0: The past, the present, and the future, yep. and that's exactly what the T is, and that's what I'm bringing to the table, is I'm showing mm-hmm. people that the past, the present, and the future are all needed in order for you to learn and mm-hmm. educate the story of why you serve the way you do and why you become the person you do, you know? Why Why can somebody who comes from a, a domestic violence situation become a, a change maker? you know? Or why does a domestic violence survivor become somebody who doesn't move forward, stays stuck, because they're not overcoming the past they're not they're mm-hmm. bringing that into the present they're not understanding the transformation of the growth mm-hmm. and i think that's where the lo- the logic of russian languages is, is it it's logical it is. and and this is what t is it's logical It you need the three in order to understand it mm-hmm. so before we wrap up your tea time because we're getting close to wrap up I wanna know what your T is, Jim, because this is what I do with all of my guests. So if you could give me a word for each of the letters starting with the TEA, what would your T be?
1: Thought. Okay, here are my three words. T is for thought. E is for energy, something really valuable that good teachers bring into the classroom is something that people often don't talk about, simply energy. One of the things, you know, I said my first statement is nobody's gonna speak Russian today. We do this and that the first day and talk about high school and this and that. And when it's appropriate, when I have a chance, I tell people I love teaching this course. I'm not just here because I have a salary, but this is very important to me I have a connection to doing It's very important to me to do this well. Teachers who bring energy into the classroom are teachers who promote positive learning outcomes. And then the A is your A awareness. The awareness of what the students have, the awareness of what the students will feel, the awareness of how the students react to what you say and do. So thought, energy, awareness.
0: And I love it, it's a strong cup of tea, it really is. And this is what we, what we do, right, is we serve what we what we understand. We can't teach what we don't understand. We can't because all we're doing is causing more damage. When we're coming into a class and we're teaching something that we don't understand. I can't teach Russian, I don't know how to speak it, but I can teach the tea because that's what I understand. I'm mm-hmm. giving the lesson of the tea. Uh, we do have a comment here from Cynthia that I want to put up. Okay. so Cynthia says (laughs) thank you so much Liz for exposing us to the educational thank you Dr Curtis for your wealth of knowledge and I googled (laughs) you and you do not look like you're in your 80s and oh my goodness oh my jim I would have never gave you 80. I would have given you a 60.
1: oh wow that is so flattering thank you very much I really appreciate that I would um I would flippantly say learning Russian keeps you young, but maybe that's a little strong.
0: <laughs> so any final words, Jim, before we wrap up your tea time? And it was truly an honor to sit and have a conversation with you.
1: Well, it's it's been an honor for me as well. This has been an, a high point of my week. I've been looking forward to this for several days now. I would, I would just repeat my three words, thought, energy, awareness. Bringing awareness to the classroom is one of the most positive things that we can do for our world we all know the world is in a difficult situation right now for a lot of different reasons and teachers who bring awareness to the classroom are people who are going to help save the world if anybody
0: exactly and i and i really appreciate the awareness on this topic because we don't speak enough and i find this is one thing that we are lacking in the world today is conversation you know dialogue Uh open discussion and getting the opinions on how we can fix and bring different solutions to the table. Especially education is one Mm -hmm. thing that is very important to me because I feel that we don't speak enough of it. And right now with the pandemic and everything around the world, education is hurting. Yes, The school systems are hurting. So, we need to find solutions. And I really want to thank you, Dr. Junkers, for Sitting and sharing about the importance of education because we need that. We need more voices like yours out there. And again, I would have never gave you eighty. You, <laughs> you look incredible. It must be the Russian language. I don't it know it must
1: <laughs> be. That's my only explanation. It? Look, it's been an honor to be there. I've enjoyed this so much and I hope it's helped some people out there understand the important issue of language learning. I
0: really want to thank you for that. Now, I want to let all the viewers know that are listening now and that will be watching the replay. Please let me know where you're tuning in from so I know where I can say a good thank you to you for supporting Miss Liz and all of these incredible tea times. Next tea time will be February 18th when I bring Alana Davis from the United States in, and she'll be speaking about the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need awareness on autism and autistic, uh, we need a voice somebody who lives with it and she is a voice and does live with it so that should be an incredible tea time as well then we have elizabeth balte that's coming in about education and speaking about the dimensions of education the nine corners of education Mm -hmm. then we have tina former coming in on february 28th who will be talking about the child welfare industry which is a hard subject that needs to be spoken about we need to know our rights as parents and as individuals so again this is an educational platform it is a place to open and bring awareness to each and every one of you out there and if there's a topic that you would like to bring to the table please reach me at bookiemissliz at gmail.com and i want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in thank you adam from mental health warriors for your support cynthia from how wow uh, another incredible uh, guests And all of you guests that were leading comments, you please authenticize yourself so I'd like to put your comments into the chat. I cannot put it in as Streamer will not allow me to put it in if you don't authenticize yourself. And I want to thank you again, Dr. Jim Curtis, for joining me today and having tea. And we will see you all February 18th for a new tea time and we will make a difference one cup of tea at a time.
1: There you are. Thank you. Thank you again, Liz. And thanks to everybody who tuned in.